The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 2 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC2. And this is Secret Church 2, Episode 8. Why did Jesus come and teach? We've seen who he is. What did he say? And what we see in those verses you mentioned is pretty much a similar theme. I want us to look at the Mark one. Look at Mark chapter 1. While you're turning to Mark, the King's Proclamation, uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 says something very similar to what we're about to look at. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 through 35 talks about how, 23 through 25 I think that should say, but it talks about how he came preaching the good news of the kingdom. In other words, the gospel of the kingdom. And I want you to look at Mark chapter 1. Verse 14 and 15. This is the transition I mentioned earlier from the ministry of John the Baptist to the ministry of Christ. It said, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. Verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So that's the message that Jesus started proclaiming. It's exactly what he started proclaiming in Matthew chapter 4 as well. The kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. I want us to think about this, these phrases. There are over 100 references to the kingdom of God in the Gospels alone. And it's mainly in the Gospels. We see it, we definitely see it thematically in, in the letters in the New Testament. It's mentioned specifically, that word, different times, but the picture is there. But it's mentioned over 100 times in the Gospels. I want us to think about the three phrases we saw in verse 15. First of all, the time has come. The time has come. We've already looked at, at one Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to kind of pause and not, not go back. But if you go back and look at Zephaniah 3 or Isaiah 52, again, just a couple of examples. And Isaiah, talking about the good news, those who bring good news, and the whole picture is of God coming among his people and raising up and showing his power among his people. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, the time's come. It's here. It's game time. Not only has the time come, but the kingdom of God is near. Now, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I want you to see this. In the beginning of, Luke, of Jesus' ministry in the gospel of Luke, we've already talked about how he was tied to Adam at the end of verse th- chapter 3. He was tempted at the beginning of chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 61. And get to verse 20. He says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Those were some good verses in Isaiah. Now you want to see them in action. Today it's fulfilled. The kingdom of God that has been prophesied is, is here. And in verse 22 it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They began, they began to try to put this whole picture together, together. But what is happening is Jesus saying, 
The time is coming. The kingdom is here. Now, when, when he's talking about kingdom here, well, we'll see it in just a second. The kingdom of God is near. Um, well, no, I think it would be good to go ahead and, and, and get this out there. When he's talking about kingdom, when you survey, and we won't have an opportunity to look at all the instances of kingdom in the Gospels, he's not primarily talking about a locality, like the United Kingdom, the nation of England. That's a locality. When he's talking about kingdom, the word is primarily, and it's got different uses, but it's primarily the overarching theme in the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, is authority. The king has authority. The kingdom is a sovereignty, a right to rule. And so that's what's being emphasized at different points. And so when we see the authority, see Jesus talking about the kingdom, what he's talking about is basically saying that God has come to earth in the person of Christ, God in the flesh, and he reigns. And he is ready to establish his reign in a whole new way based on everything that's happened in the Old Testament. And so the message that when we see Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near, he's basically saying the reign of God is upon you. The rule of God is upon you. So get ready. The kingdom of God is near. Now we're going to see that unfold in just a second. Then he says repent and believe the good news. The king's proclamation, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Repent and believe the good news. When we won't look at these verses. Matthew 12, 41 talks about how they repented at Nineveh. They better repent today. Luke chapter 5, verse 32, chapter 13, verse 3 and 5, basically saying, unless you repent, you will perish. This is an inward change that, that is saying, Jesus is saying, there's a change that needs to happen. The reign of God is here, and you need to come under the reign of God. And that means turning aside from all the kingdoms of this world and submitting yourself to his kingdom. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus was repent. That's not a word we even use very much today, but it was the central message of Jesus. And so maybe it would be wise to recover the meaning of repentance. What does it mean to repent? Because the kingdom of God is near. We're going to see that in just a second. But the king has come. We've seen his introduction We've seen his, 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 his proclamation and all the anticipation that led to that. But that's not where the Gospels end. That's just the very beginning of the Gospels. You saw, that's just a few, few of the first chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The second part of this Gospel of the Kingdom, not just the King has come, the King has conquered. The King has conquered. And that's, that's the second blank that's in your, in your map, that yellow map you've got for understanding the storyline. The King has conquered. The power of the kingdom displayed. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 11. This is interesting. What I'm going to do, I want us to read Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going I'm to have Isaiah 35 handy over here to, to see the, the, the correlation between the two. Look at verse... We'll we'll look at start in verse 2. Look at Matthew 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask them, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And instead of saying, yes, I'm the one to come, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the 
and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now I want you to keep your eyes on that, those verses right there, verse 5 and 6. And let me read you from Isaiah chapter 35, which is a prophecy looking forward to when Israel would be redeemed. And it says in Isaiah 35, verse 5, kind of keep your eyes on those verses. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf, un- deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. That sound familiar? The whole picture of the kingdom of Christ coming is that he would show the authority, the reign of God, not only with what he said, but with the way he lived. And it's on that basis that Jesus says to John the Baptist, if you want to know if I'm real, look at what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is illustrating, it's demonstrating the power of the kingdom. And that is the purpose. When we get into to the New Testament, to, to this part of the Gospels, what we need to see is all of these miracles that Jesus is, doing, Jesus is doing. He's certainly doing out of love for people, no question. But the primary reason he is doing this miracle here and that miracle there is to show in different places that the king, kingdom has come, the authority of God, the reign of God has come, and he is demonstrating God's reign over a variety of different things, God's authority over a variety of different things. First of all, just think about it. Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over nature. Jesus is the kind of guy that if his, friend, if his friends are out on a boat in the middle of the water and he has missed the boat and can't get out there to him. He just decides he's going to take a stroll. And so that's what he does. He walks on the water in John chapter 6. When Mark chapter 4, Mark, Mark chapter 4, when he's on the boat with his friends. And he hasn't taken a walk out there this time, but he's asleep. And they're having a, a big storm around them. And they're all getting kind of scared. And he's snoozing over here. And so they go and they wake him up. And they say, Jesus, wake up. We're, we, we might go down tonight. And so Jesus wipes the sleep from his eyes. And he yawns. And he takes a stretch. And then he just raises up his hand. And He's a good guy to have on the boat with you at that point. <laughs> Jesus has authority over nature. When you're hungry and, and you only have a little bit of food, it's Jesus who, who blesses that food and gives it to his disciples who hand it out to over 5,000 people in the beginning of John chapter 6. He's got authority over nature. Over and over again we see this, that he has authority over nature. In Mark chapter 4, at the end of that story of him calming the waves, the disciples are, they're stunned And they said, even the wind and the waves obey him. They're scared in Mark chapter 4. Why? Because there's only one who has power over the wind and the waves in the Old Testament. It is God himself. These guys have just gone from being scared in a boat to realizing God was in the boat with them. And just a side note, that's a good word. Because that text can be, if we miss the point of the miracle, that text can be so skewed so that we walk away and we say, well, whenever I'm going through a storm in life, then God's going to get me through. You know, we can't promise our persecuted brothers and sisters in prison that there's going to be a day when they get out. Not on this earth. We can't make that promise. But I'll tell you what promise we can make. We can make the promise that the God who has authority over all nature is right there with them in that prison, walking with them through it. They're not alone. God is with them. That, that's, that's a better truth to hold on to than storms of life stuff. Jesus has authority over nature. Second, Jesus has authority over disease, disease or sickness. Mark chapter 1, I mentioned it earlier. 
all of these different verses that are talking about all these different people coming to his house. He's basically saying he's healing everybody in the town. It was, it was a good thing to have Jesus in your town at that point. Look at John chapter 9, though. I want you to see something very interesting. Look at John chapter 9. This is, this is Jesus and a man born blind. One of my favorite stories in all the Gospels. Here's a guy. Jesus is talking about how he's the light of the world. And these people are debating why this guy is blind. Because his parents passed it on to him or is it something he did? Because somebody had to have messed up in order for him to be blind. So Jesus comes on the scene, starts talking about how he's the light of the world. Verse 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with, assault, uh, salt, sal- with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And that's, that's kind of gross, you know. I mean, we kind of glamorize the New Testament. It's, it's kind of weird to see Jesus spitting and then putting the saliva and this mud on this man's eyes. But all of a sudden he can see. And so the religious leaders are... Go crazy. And what I want you to see, and you might circle or underline these different words. You see a one word at the beginning of all their questions. Look at verse 10, John 9, 10. They ask him, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And then you get down to verse 16, about midway through. This guy starts getting badgered. Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? The word how is mentioned again there at the beginning, middle of, of verse 16. And you get to the end of verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How? There it is. Circle it again. How is it that he can now see? Verse 26. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Isn't that a great response? (laughs) If you want to believe in him, just do it. But I I don't know how. They keep asking how over and over and over again. Then you get to the end of the story. Jesus comes face to face with this guy who's been healed. In verse 36, he doesn't ask how. What does he ask? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The question changes in verse 36. Instead of trying to, the point of Jesus' miracles was not to show how this or that could happen. The point is to show who he is. And this man came to that realization. That's why we have the miracles over and over in the Gospels, to give us a picture of the king on the scene. He reigns. That's what we're seeing there. Okay, Jesus has authority over nature, over disease. Jesus has authority over demons. Oh, this is a good one. Go to Matthew chapter 12. We obviously see at different points uh, Jesus healing people of demon possession. We see demons going into pigs, and it's just a, it's always an interesting scene. But I want you to look with me at verse 24 when he's having a conversation with the Pharisees about this, these demons that are being driven out. And I want you to see what he says. Verse 24, the Pharisees heard this. They said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons, now listen to these two verses. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
I'm showing you a picture of the kingdom of God. Then you get to verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. What we're seeing here is a picture of Jesus saying, when I cast out demons, I am showing my authority over Satan. I am showing my authority over these demons. That's what he's showing over and over again in these this demon possession, demons being cast out. Every time he casts out a demon, don't miss the picture. It is a picture of the reign of God over every spiritual power in this world. The reign of Christ over every spiritual power in this world. And the whole picture in verse 29, if you're going to go and rob a strong man's house, what do you have to do first? You've got to bind the strong man. And Jesus said, I'm come to do one thing. I'm binding the strong man. Because Satan has no power with me on the scene. I'm the king, and I'm going to bind him. He goes to a cross, and he defeats sin. He binds the strong man. Now, does sin still, still have presence in our lives? Do we still have struggles with sin? Are there struggles with sin in the rest of the New Testament? Yes, but he is bound. And there's coming a day when it will be complete. And sin will be ultimately destroyed. All of these demon possession things, demons being cast out, are looking forward to the day when the kingdom will be complete. And so I remind you, with the sins that we struggle with in this room and the things that you just can't seem to get a hold of and the adversary says over and over and over again that you can't conquer this thing, remind him that he is bound. The strong man is bound and Jesus Christ reigns over all, all the spiritual powers of this world. That's the king. He's come. Okay. Jesus has authority over, over, over suffering next. He has authority over suffering. Mark 5, 25 to 34, we won't read there. You get to the very end, verse 34. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Be freed from your suffering. An incredible picture. The pain that this world brings and the freedom Christ brings. Jesus has authority over suffering. Jesus has authority over sin. Mark 2, 1 through 11. When Jesus heals, heals someone, but then also claims to be able to forgive his sins. Mark 2, 6 or 7, somewhere in there, the, the religious leaders are thinking, who does this guy think he is? Saying he has the power to forgive sins. Only God can do that. It's the passage that C.S. Lewis said was most pivotal in bringing him to faith in Christ. For, for a king to make this kind of claim, to be able to forgive sins, it was showing his divinity. Jesus has authority over sin. And finally, Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over death. Matthew 5 37 through 43 is the daughter who had died and uh, he'd heard she was sick. He didn't make it there in time. She was dead. You don't need to come anyway. He says, you want me to come. And so he goes into that room with a couple of people and he raises her from the dead. Then you get to John chapter 11, verse 28 through 35, and you see his friend Lazarus, who he didn't make it in time for that one, they thought. And so he goes and he says, Lazarus, arise and come out. And you've got this picture of his authority over death. Now his authority over all of these different things, you see how kingdom is a picture of authority and reign, sovereignty, rule, that Jesus is showing. The reign of God is here. Now the problem is when you get to this next thing. The power of the kingdom has been displayed, but now the power of the kingdom is in doubt. And by that, I mean the unexpected, absolutely unexpected tragedy of the cross. For Jesus to say, I'm going to, the Son of Man is going to be suffered, is going to suffer, be given up, and he's going to die. And to say that over and over again and have Peter, and we're hard on Peter sometimes, but it makes sense in some ways for him to pull Jesus aside and say, 
That's not the way you set up a kingdom. You don't set up a kingdom by going to a Roman cross. The picture is still the king who conquers. And the picture is of the king going to where the battle is thickest and to the ultimate source of the battle and taking it head on. And the king, our king, conquers by the cross. That's why, that's why the church thrives in persecution because the king has conquered by the cross. He knows how to take that which the world intends for evil and turn it into the ultimate good. It's unexpected. Mark chapter, chapter 8, verse 31 to 9-1 gives you that picture in Peter's dialogue with Jesus and Jesus talking about the suffering of the kingdom. It's an unexpected tragedy, but it all makes sense, though. You put it together with all that we've seen to this point, with all that Jesus was identified as in that introduction. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifices in the temple. He is the one who makes it possible for us to come to God. He is, especially in Mark, the suffering servant in Isaiah. It all comes together. The power of the kingdom is in doubt in the unexpected tragedy of the cross, but the power of the kingdom is declared in the ultimate triumph of the resurrection. The ultimate triumph of the resurrection. The king has come and the king has conquered. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.